Welcome to episode 17 of Blue Jays Happy Hour. I'm your host, Nick Ashbourne, joined as always by Andrew Stoughton. And our special guest today is Ben Wagner, who's been doing some spectacular one-man booth radio broadcasts since the Blue Jays have returned home. Stoughton, since we last talked, not a lot of good things have happened. Uh, and now we've got the steady drumbeat of Fire Charlie Montoya. So I feel like we just got to get that conversation out of the way. Where are you on the Montoya needs to walk the plank discourse? That's a great question. I, I don't know where I am, to be honest, um, because I don't know who makes all the decisions. Obviously, obviously, Charlie is, you know, the figurehead and has final say on a lot of things. Uh, but the, the Blue Jays at every turn will tell you, oh, we're collaborative. You could see them in the dugout talking to each other. It's not like Charlie is out there going rogue, making bad decisions left and right like the, that the front office doesn't want to have happen. Like if things are happening, <laughs> if they're making choices, they're all endorsed, I feel, by the front office. So I, I am at a place where... Uh, and I don't know if I'm right or wrong, obviously, but like it, where where I, I think I think it's about it's a process issue if there's anything wrong with the way the blue the Blue Jays you know deploy their relievers. So, but also Charlie kind of makes that argument hard <laughs> because you know he doesn't pinch hit Corey Dickerson for Brave Valera, and you know there's stuff that's happening in game that obviously can't be game game planned. Uh, that it was happening this week, you know, especially in Washington with the the National League rules, uh, where he makes my argument harder. Where it's like, no, Charlie's not an idiot. He just he he's following you know some guidelines that have been set out by the front office, by the pitching coach, by all you know, just anybody who you know people watching the bullpens and whatever. Uh, but, but I you know I don't know I. A lot of it, I don't, I don't care for this discourse about Charlie being fired, and uh, I, I don't think that if you, for example, uh, made John Schneider the the manager, which I've heard a lot of people say, they're like, yeah, what? Well, I trust this bearded white dude here who has input on the decisions that I hate, but I, for some reason, trust him. I find yeah, that, I trust I find the guy that who throws batting practice and talks to catchers a lot. Yeah, this I, this I, guy <laughs> is the manager. But also, but also, it's undeniable that like, you know, <laughs> they make some weird decisions down there. Whoever is behind it, I don't, I don't want to pin it all on Charlie, but he he is the representative of those decisions. Like he kind of has to be uh, first and foremost pinned on it. Right. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm definitely not of the, of the mind that Charlie must be fired. But, uh, I don't think that, I don't think that they've been winning them games either lately. Right. Yeah. I understand the vitriol. I understand why people feel like Montoyo is losing them games. There are decisions that I think, um, he has made, that yeah that have contributed to losses probably more than have contributed to wins does that mean that he needs to be fired does that mean that there's a a good viable alternative that they can bring in that'll make a difference in the short term i don't know i kind of think of montoya i used to think of john gibbons for instance and this was not based on anything but i used to think of john gibbons as like the 12th best manager in the league like he was fine (laughs) he and i like i liked him a lot personally and i was around the ball club a lot when he was there 
Um, so I got to know him a little bit more. And I like John Gibbons a lot. I think he was a lot of fun, and I think the players respected him. And, uh, you know, he was a little bit old school in terms of running his own ship and probably being less collaborative than what you're describing here. I think of Montoyo as being, like, the 18th best manager. Like, not <laughs> a disaster by any means. Not someone who's going to tank your season. Hell, you can have a great season with Tony La Russa in 2021. Right. <laughs> so, like, a manager isn't necessarily capable of tanking your season, for me, they, the idea is that you can probably do better. Uh, Montoya's a great people manager, and his tactics are sometimes lacking. Sometimes he has faith in players uh, you know, to a fault, and I think his yeah. players probably love him for that, or some of them do, because they fail, and he says, I believe in you, I know you're good, and he goes back to them. And that can be really great sometimes, but it can also be problematic. Like He's gone to Brad Hand yeah. in too many high leverage situations like that's the reality i never liked the hand deal uh, but no, the idea no. was that hand could do those high leverage stuff because he was experienced and you're kind of paying a little bit for what was between his ears and then he comes out and in high leverage spots is a disaster and in low leverage spots has been really good and so that that whole acquisition has been a problem and we talked to ben about this later in the episode that sometimes when you're looking from the outside in, you don't know which pitchers are available which ones aren't and so that can distort your view of the decisions being made. And I realize this bullpen basically has four pitchers. Romano, yeah. Meza, Simber, and Richards. And Meza, and just, and Meza no, just came back. But yeah. And Meza just came back. And there's no one else you want to give innings to. And if you look at their roster resource page, days and days will go by when the f- four other guys don't pitch. Because like Overton, uh, you know, Thornton, Sneed, like these guys are not getting innings because they're not to be trusted. But Montoyo has definitely trusted Thorne too much. He trusted Dolise too, too much. Sometimes it seems like he anchors on what his, his idea of a player is, mm-hmm. and then he doesn't adjust quickly enough for how they're playing and how they're contributing. So I don't see Charlie Montoyo as a great manager, to be honest, but I don't see him as this cancerous entity right. that is tanking the Blue Jays' <laughs> chances. Should he be purged uh, you know, immediately? I don't know. Should the Blue Jays be thinking of someone else as their long-term manager? I think so, and I, to be honest, I kind of think that they think that too. Oh well, I mean, that's great. I, I, I that that's not the sense I get. I get the sense that they love Charlie and love you know what he, what he does that isn't tactical, and love that he is an even-keeled guy and a positive guy. And but but you're you're right, and also to in his defense, which I will probably come to more often than I should in this conversation. Like, I, like the front office gave you Brad Hand. They're like, this is a, you have a high leverage reliever here. Like, here's a guy to do this job. Like, part, like, like if you're, like, he can't, he can't go and be like, I'm going to bury this guy in the depth chart because I don't trust him. Like, he's been given him by the front office, right? And, and uh, I, I just, I think that that, you know, it makes sense in a way to use him, especially. And we we talked about this with Ben, but but like, uh, but like especially, or maybe we talked about it off air. But um, the other day when he came in in the seventh inning, blew the game. They had they had already used Meza and Simber. They needed Romano and Trevor Richards for the eighth and ninth inning. <laughs> the other names are are not good. You know, you could have used Sosedo. Sneed, Overton, 
Like going to Brad Hand there is like that's what he's there for. And that's not yeah, that, that's not Charlie's fault, right? Like he like that's what Brad Hand is there to do, and it's really Brad Hand's fault. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but I think everyone wanted Richards in that spot, right? You're talking about Juan Soto. You're talking about the only yeah, yeah. dangerous part of the Nationals order. Um, like, those are the type of adjustments you kind of want a manager to make where he'll go to the, the guy who's right, especially because Richards is a change-up guy, so he's not a guy that you're worried about with lefties as much. 100%. But, yeah, yeah, this is, you know, this is micro stuff. And I'm not like you. The, the the thing is, whenever people complain about managers' decisions, it's always like, oh, he put in this pitcher who bombed, and if he put in that pitcher, it would have been fine. Well, you don't know it would have been fine. Like <laughs> right. I think that Richards was the right pitcher to go to in that spot, but I'm not guaranteeing that he wouldn't have also blown the game. Like that's a hundred percent on the table. So there's you know sometimes there's the right decision by a little bit, like a fraction. Like let's say Richards overhand is the right decision by a small fraction. Which means, you know, if you use hand, it's going to work half the time. And if you use Richards, it's going to work 60% of the time. Well, that's like a sliver of a sliver of a game. Like, it's not as consequential as it actually seems because the Blue Jays lost that game. And it seemed like that decision was what it hinged on. But if they had used Richards, there's no guarantee the same thing wouldn't have happened. So when it, when it looks like Montoyo blew a game, mm -hmm. sometimes really he's blowing like 10% of one decision. <laughs> right. But when that happens over and over and over again, people yeah, it adds people up. It's a long season, 162 yeah. games. There's been yeah, and there's I, been a ton of times where that's happened. Uh, and you know, I I don't know. I I am I'm I'm the last person on the fire Charlie train. Whatever. I think he's. I, I agree. Like I don't know. If you drafted managers, he would not be in my first <laughs> ten or fifteen probably. But I I don't think the I don't think that. It matters that much. I think that there are so many landmines in this bullpen, and uh, that's the real issue. And I also think that you know it, it's important to remember, which bothers me a bit, the way fans uh, will not remember that you know you literally see him talking to Pete Walker, talking you know Pete's the the one making the call down to the bullpen. Like he's not objecting to what their their strategy is. Like those guys have agency too. Uh, it, it's it's. Again, at every turn, they'll tell you they're collaborative. Uh, and so the whole idea that, oh, Charlie is dumb and bad, uh, I, I think I think I just think is wrong. Like I think that you're it's you, you people miss a lot of, uh, of of what how that actually works. And we don't know a lot about how like decisions are actually made. and uh, I wrote last week about Ross Atkins was talking about how, you know, every day they game plan for every possible scenario. Every day they go out and they're like, who's available? What are we going to do if the pitcher needs to go in the fifth? Who's coming in? Who's going to go? And I think they do seem to be a little bit too tied to that. Like you said, like, you know, it, it would be nice to have somebody be like, hey, yeah, Trevor Richards needs to be in this situation instead of like following the strict game plan. Uh but so I don't know if I don't know how much agency Charlie has over a lot of these decisions, but uh, to the extent that he does, it's it's you know it's not been great. Clearly, yeah, I think you're 100 percent right. The people oversimplify this situation, and it's easier to put it on one person. Um, it's so much easier. Yeah, people, it's so much easier. People than the lose their mind on one on one guy, and it makes and I, that's part of the manager's job, I think, is to be that lightning rod. And I think and Montoya's good at that in the sense that he doesn't 
lose it. He he can absorb the criticism and he can you know put good vibes back out into the universe. The thing uh, I always come back to with Montoya, and I think I I said this when we did our over unders at the beginning of the year, uh, and we when we had Ben Nicholson Smith on, is that there's a lot of good qualities that people point to with Montoya, and they're totally valid in terms of you know the way the players like him and. The fact that he's multilingual, he's able to connect with all the different players from around the clubhouse and the even keel and all those positive qualities. It just seems to me that you can find those, like those qualities are great. I don't know if they're that rare. I think right. you can find someone who, you know, is, does have a good sense of a room and is someone people want to play for with just like a little more uh, Craig Council in them or a little more <laughs> Kevin Cash in them. And, so there are things that Montoya does well. I just don't know if those things are enough to say, oh, this guy is, is actually a good manager. I, it's, it, for me, it's just somewhere in between. He's probably, yeah. you know, I, I feel good about that random number I threw at it before, like the 18th. You know, he's, <laughs> he's like below average, but not disastrously so. Now, if the Blue Jays, you know, let's say they don't make the playoffs by one game, you could probably have some, you could noodle on the idea that perhaps a different manager would have got you to the playoffs. That, I, I, that's 100% true, and people will when that naturally happens. <laughs> oh, but all, 100%. But, but also, it's like, I don't know, George Springer with three months. Like, the, there, are, there, are, there are bigger things that could have got them into the playoffs. But absolutely, yes. like, there have definitely been, it's just, yeah, it's like the, like, I know it's tough, and I know he's restricted in terms of like who he can use in the bullpen. But yeah, there there are some landmines. But he has done a good job of like stepping on every single one possible. <laughs> it's been yeah. it's it's been wild. Um, but yeah, I I don't I don't know. I, people seem to have like got some perspective on it now. I think um, I don't know if it's just because the season is coming you know rapidly to a to a close or what it is, but like. Uh, you know, people I like people like Charlie, uh, but a lot of people are uh, are definitely I'm feeling <laughs> are like he shouldn't be the manager is all. Uh, yeah, and, you, you and, can both things can be true. Like, yeah, I, I like Charlie as as a guy as well. Um, and I'm I'm not calling aggressively for his ousting, but uh, yeah, you can like someone and respect them <laughs> and think they bring something to the table, and also think someone else might bring something slightly more to the table. I but uh, I don't know how much it would change to be honest. Like especially, I mean, the in-game stuff, like the the, you know, we just watched that series in Washington. You know, the the the, the substitutions, the 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 double switching that didn't happen, Dickerson not pinch hitting for Valera, uh, you know, all all of that. Like the the re- the reactive stuff does not make a good case for like if I'm trying to say, yeah, no, Charlie actually is fine. Don't worry, don't even worry about it a lot of it is like guided by the front office in terms of like how the pitchers are used. You see the, you know, spots in game where he has to react. And again, it's not great. Um, no. Yeah. Uh, and, and that doesn't make me feel great about how the, you know, about my argument about, <laughs> you know, the, the, the fact that he deploys pitchers oddly is not on him. Uh, because I don't know, you could see, you could just see that it's not, it's not a well-oiled machine a lot of times. Um, though I do think, I, I don't know, I'm very easy to give him a break. Like I want to give him a break on a lot of things because I know he, it is the lightning rod effect and people do really want to, want to dislike 
the manager and want just just naturally like psychologically people want somebody to point at when things go bad and this is a sport where that doesn't make sense a lot of times i think it's just it's so easy for things to go bad. you know the orioles are still winning three of seven games or three of ten games right like they're you know more than that probably like their their winning percentage is above 300 and it's like you know it's just you're gonna lose sometimes to bad teams like stuff happens that's the nature of baseball um yeah, if the but that's also why it's important, like on the margins, to be able to like to get as much out of your team as you possibly can, and it does feel like sometimes that's not happening here. Yeah, yeah, I think you get disproportionate frustration with losing to teams that are shit, and the Nationals <laughs> are shit. Yeah, but like, like if you played a twenty-game series against the Nationals, at some point you would lose two in a row. Sure. Uh, it's just like that's the one that happened to happen. I know that that sounds like very esoteric, <laughs> but but that's sort of the reality. Is like you look at your calendar and you say, oh, games against Detroit, win, win, win. Games against the Twins, win, win, win. Games against the Orioles, win, win, win. But you're not going to sweep all those series. And you're probably going to lose one of those series, realistically. I mean, at this point, they can't really afford to necessarily. That's sort of a separate issue. But you are going to have bad moments against bad teams over the course of a long season. And I know why this feels like a particularly rough moment because of how their playoff chances have gone down significantly with this road trip and whatnot. But yeah, at some point during the season, you're going to lose to some bad teams uh, more than you would like to. And I don't think that necessarily means that the team is garbage and that everyone involved is um, yeah, someone that <laughs> no, needs to lose does. their position. It means the team is fucking garbage. This team everyone sucks. involved needs to be fired. <laughs> I read huh? that on Facebook. You know what? That would give us plenty to talk about for that reason. For business purposes, I'd probably be okay with it, but uh, I don't think it's the right thing to happen. now joined by the voice of the Toronto Blue Jays on the radio, Ben Wagner, who is back. Uh, I know a lot of fans are very thankful to hear his voice over the radio. Ben, you know, it's been an up and down season for the Blue Jays. It's been a bit of a roller coaster for you as well. You were, you know, the number one source of Blue Jays news in Dunedin for a while. Then you were doing things on the TV broadcast. And now uh, you're back in the familiar radio booth. What do you think you're going to remember from this sort of chaotic ride of a season? Wow, um, that's a really good question, and hopefully, maybe the best memory is yet to come. That's what I'm hoping for with this ball club. Uh, you know, it's been it's been interesting, personally and professionally, over the past uh, now, I guess, eight months. Right? Um, what I think about, what I'm going to remember the most, is seeing this team play in three different home venues because I was working the first couple of months, and very thankful to be part of the TV broadcast in Dunedin. I went to Buffalo for a week and just to touch base with the guys and you know watch a couple of series there. And then out, out of nowhere, um, thrust back into the radio booth and being part of 
the return to Toronto, which is so far, that's the highlight. You know, that's the highlight for me. It's that first game on July 30th, uh, the build up, the pageantry, uh, you know, not only for, not only for the broadcast, but just for me, you know, I was so excited to get the call and then kind of throw everything in a bag, <laughs> uh, clear the border and, and then come back to a very familiar uh, venue in our radio booth and, and, you know, be part of that first game back, but also that homestand, which had its incredible moments too, you know, for a number of different reasons. But I think, you know, so far that's the highlight um, to go along with all the adversity, you know, we've definitely grown and learned and expanded some skill sets, but uh, it's nice to be back kind of in the flow where I feel the most comfortable. You mentioned that, like you said, you're in the flow. You're doing what you've been doing for a long time. Like you're a, you're a pro on the radio side. You have a lot of experience there, but not all that experience has come in the one-man booth. It's kind of a different format. You know, Vin Scully kind of made it famous for a lot of fans, but it's a challenging thing. And I'm kind of wondering what the challenges have been and what you're enjoying about it and what has been um, has been difficult about that adjustment. Yeah, you know, I had to uh, wrap my head around it and think back to all those games in 2004, 2005, and on and on and on when I was in Lakewood, when I was in Buffalo, and I was sitting in Hagerstown, Maryland, or Scranton, Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania, and it's like me, 15 fans in these venues, and I'm calling these broadcasts by myself. <laughs> I'm thinking, when is this ever going to matter? And here we are in August of 2021 all that you know experience all those reps it finally paid off you know i was so focused uh, early in my career of you know and, and and had this drive to work with an analyst in buffalo we always had that opportunity most cases um you know to to make that pay off it's a different broadcast it's definitely different and i knew that going in um so i try to to focus on the important things first and foremost the inning the score the situation and tried to use a solo broadcast as the biggest canvas as I can, really. I mean, that's where it starts for me. And then the things that I naturally enjoy doing, uh, one, descriptive play-by-play. -play. Two, you know, mix in some storytelling and also the situation for whoever the Blue Jays are playing. And here we are on the cusp of the Tigers coming to town and potentially Major League history could be set yeah. at Rogers Center. You know, yeah. so I'm, that's, that's important. That's important to me. I think as a baseball fan and even as a Blue Jay fan, uh, while it'll be very Blue Jay centric, you know, about 85% of what we talk about is going to be Blue Jay driven. Uh, Miguel Cabrera stepping into that batter's box is a big deal. Uh, so uh, I'm going to try to put that in perspective and I try to do that with every game. So, uh, you know, that's, that's one of the things that I just try to focus on. Uh, challenges, again, you know, you just kind of reference back to what your experience has brought forward and use that as as where you kind of launch off to this. And, you know, we're fortunate enough where uh, we get to call the games at home at Rogers Center, and that is a massive advantage. That is a massive advantage. At some point, we have to get back on the road, um, you know, because mm -hmm. calling the games out of the studio is a massive disadvantage to call these games, let alone what it provides for the fans and the listeners and the viewers for that matter. I mean, we can spend 40 minutes on the field and walk away with enough stuff for a four game series, let alone the four hour broadcast. It's really important for us to be around 
the team and around the team so they're comfortable and can give us information on top of, you know, just the sterile Zoom settings that we're usually um, sub subjected to. I, I cannot tell you how different it's been from that first homestand back in Toronto versus, you know, the experience and West Coast. And it was a bumpy road trip for the Blue Jays, you know. Um, I'm not going to use the studio as an excuse, but there are massive advantages to have close proximity for the broadcast, you know, with, with the team. So uh, that's, you know, that's, we're doing what we can, you know, and we're going to even do more now that the team is back at home for a good chunk of time here. Ben, this is a bit of a micro question, but the very first guest we had on this podcast was Dan Schulman. And I was just curious because um, of all the experience that he's had as a broadcaster, what his favorite play to call in baseball was. And so he told us that it was first and second, runners at first and second, and a double in the gap. And I'm kind of wondering, do you have a favorite baseball play to call? Wow. Um, I love a ball that goes inside the bag, right field or left field, gets into the corner. And you can put the runners wherever. Uh, scoring position, easily, usually, I mean, usually that runner at second base is going to come in pretty swiftly, right? If there's a guy at first base and that ball goes inside the bag or, you know, gets hit up the line and rattles around in the corner, I love the challenge of calling how the runner is coming around the bases, how the fielder goes after the baseball, what happens to the baseball, and then everything that leads to a potential play at the plate. That is the most fun for me to call. Um, and, and one of my, I think, I don't know if you would call it proudest moments, you know, as, as, a, as a Blue Jays broadcaster, we were in Minneapolis. And Teoscar Hernandez had that challenge and digging a ball out of the corner and left. And Freddie Galvis, you know, had the relay to the plate and it was a tag to finish the ball game. And, you know, those, those moments, it was like this crescendo from the pitch, the contact, you know, the descriptiveness uh, as the play was unfolding in front of me. And then just like the magnitude of a play at the plate, in the bottom of the ninth inning, it would have been a tying run, and I think Danny Jansen had the tag down, you know, to finish the ball game. So uh, those are my favorite plays. Those are the challenging ones because um, there's so much going on, and I think it could be a very fun listen <laughs> for people uh, for people to enjoy on the radio, especially in the big moments, you know, with tying runs, go-ahead runs, game-winning runs, whatever. So we, we only have a sample size of two now, but that's a lot of uh, people favoring the doubles, or I guess in this case could be a triple. I don't know <laughs> if it's a triple, expecting... right? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, if home run calls are easy. Yeah. I was going to say that's kind of the natural, <laughs> famous thing, right? Is the home run call? Yeah, I mean, but um, like every home run is different. You know, they happen differently, uh, and, and as we've known the last two years to call them, there has been greater challenges. You know, uh, Marcus Simeon's game-winning home <laughs> right. run, game-winning home run in the seventh against the Red Sox was easier for me to call than the rocket that he hit the other night in Washington that went into the bullpen. You know, it was almost surprising because you don't really, if you're calling it off the monitor, uh, it's much more challenging. But like, because you don't get the read of off the bat, you don't get the, you know, the perception of the ball and its and its trajectory. You just can't do that, especially in Washington. My God. I mean, the camera's on the moon. 
Um, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. so there's just, I mean, there's, there's, there's challenges all over the place, but you know, home run calls are home run calls. Um, and there are guys that have great home run calls, uh, no matter how challenging, you know, and plays at the wall and all that stuff. Um, but I, I, I like the fact, and it's interesting because I did not know that, that Dan enjoys calling those plays. Uh, I like the ball that goes down the line the most, just because it's challenging as a broadcaster. It's, I think it's dramatic as a consumer, if you're watching it on TV or radio and it's, and it's just awesome baseball. You know, it's awesome baseball that provides the speed, uh, the arm strength, the drama of the plays. I just, I love all that. It's interesting when you think of the sort of the challenges of radio broadcasting, there's a lot of Blue Jays, at least the way I see it right now in the current team, that are a bit singular, almost, you know, visually and in style. Like Vladdy is this larger than life figure. Um, you know, Teoscar Hernandez is always goofing off in, in the dugout and stuff. Uh, Bo Bichette's got a very violent and different type of swing. Are there any Blue Jays on this team that you find harder to bring to life in the audio format? Because uh, it's not sort of a standard group of guys. You know, Alejandro Kurt comes to mind as well uh, for different reasons. But is it? are there people on this team that you find harder to bring to life in the format you're working in? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, you know, and you try to come up with different adjectives or, you know, ways to portray them. You know, so in the theater of the mind, the listener, uh, no matter where they're at, right, if they're sitting on the dock or in a car or just, you know, maybe have a radio on in the kitchen, uh, can kind of visualize what you're seeing. Some of the some of the tougher ones, um, you know, like Randall Gritchick for me, you know, has made some really nice plays. But um, defensively, it's easier for me to describe a Gritchick play versus a Randall Gritchick at bat. Right. Um, he, he's dropped a couple of things that make him stick stick out. Remember when he first came to the Blue Jays, 2018, he would kind of swing out of the batter's box, straddle the line, and and he'd slap his thigh. Sometimes the crowd mic behind the plate <laughs> would pick up that slap when he slapped his thigh, and like the audio working with my words, you know, would kind of sink in. He has stopped that, but now he'll step out of the batter's box and do some exhaling. Um, you know, so there's little things you, you, you hope that the player can provide in that manner. Um, are there, you know, you know, you know, I'm trying to think defensively and offensively too, because they're just so different, right? Um, so Gritches, Gritches has some challenges. Uh, you know, George Springer has been on the opposite end. You know, he's a much better much more fun. I shouldn't say that. I mean, he, I know he, I knew he was going to be a good defender. I've really, I've really enjoyed him playing defense. Um, and the way that he goes hard after balls and near the wall, I think that adds for some dramatic effect too on the play by play. Um, so I, I guess those are just a couple of things that jump off the page, you know, on both ends of the spectrum there. Uh, but unfortunately we've seen a lot of new players kind of cycle through too. Uh, and, you know, that's just on the offensive side. Pitching-wise, now pitching-wise is completely different and sometimes very laboring. You've got guys that work quick. You've got guys that uh, <laughs> grind a game to a halt. Uh, Rafael Dolis innings, uh, God bless him, you know, were the hardest ones to call. They, they, they are slow. They're laborious. They are, like, at times 
sink your nails into your cheekbones and pull your skin <laughs> off because it's, it's, you know, it's ball one, it's ball two, it's a foul ball, it's ball three, it's just, then we got to think about it, you know, and then we got to go yeah. over the signs again, and God, you know, and then if there's a runner on, forget it, now we're checking the scoreboard. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so, so every, every player has its own unique perspective and challenges, uh, but especially there are a couple, you know, that have their own very unique challenges. Ben, one thing that's interesting about your background is that sort of much like some of the MOB players that you end up talking about, you kind of grinded your way up through the minor leagues. You spent a lot of time um, with the Buffalo Bisons, where a lot of Blue Jays fans kind of knew you before you came and started covering the Blue Jays. When you're watching minor league ball so consistently, I'm kind of curious about which players you form strong opinions about that you might have been wrong or right about. It could be Blue Jays prospects, could have been before the Blue Jays had um, an affiliate in Buffalo. And I'm just wondering, like, watching all that minor league ball, were there players that you had great conviction were going to be stars that totally busted out? Or there players where you saw them in Buffalo and thought there was nothing much to them and they went on to great success? Um, yeah, you know, there, there's uh, there's guys that you really <laughs> Not to challenge your scouting eye. <laughs> yeah. It happens to all of us. Yeah, you know, I mean, some, some of the guys that, that just absolutely made a huge splash um, you can go back to, um, well, I can go back to like my first couple of teams in Buffalo, you know, Franklin Gutierrez was a prospect with Cleveland at the time. He got a little bit of time and then was on the shuttle back and forth, never really got a consistent playing time. And then he went on, I thought he was a great player, you know, at triple a, he went on to have a nice little run with Seattle later on in his career, but he never really was this standout. Um, you know, guys that guys that never flashed, like Ben Francisco, ended up on having a you know a pretty decent career for a guy that was just able to hang on in a couple of different facets. Whether it was through Cleveland, through Houston, through the Philadelphia Phillies, um, other guys that you thought were destined to become Hall of Famers, Matt Harvey. Matt Harvey's one for me. You know, the mm. the Dark Knight. It was it was <laughs> an absolute spectacle with New York media anytime as a, as a Mets affiliate in that 2012 season, anytime he took the ball and it felt like New York was paying more attention to what's going on wherever Buffalo was playing that day than they were the Mets and rightfully so sometimes because it's the Mets and <laughs> Matt Harvey didn't disappoint, you know, did not disappoint when he first went to the big leagues. And then all of a sudden after his, second full year and he had that great run and challenged Terry Collins in the dugout during the world series. And that was just kind of it. And, you know, it never really, never really went anywhere from there. I know he's, he's hanging on and, you know, trying to get back and get his footing as somebody that can pitch in the game. There's, there's a million of those stories. There really are, you know, guys that you have high expectations for guys that, you know, are surprising how they kind of blossom. One of the guys that's blossoming in front of our eyes right now is Teoscar Hernandez, right? With the last two plus years that mm -hmm. he's put together, um, for somebody that was just kind of lumped in in that trade, and it's a credit to the scouts or, or the guys in the front office that pulled it off, uh, that thought that they really had something there with him, and now we're finally seeing it at its best. And because Teoscar, you know, I mean, he had 
batted bats. He had challenging plays defensively, and you were wondering, like, oh, man, um, you know, is this guy going to ever have it click? And when it clicks, woo, wow, that's that's great, you know. <laughs> A.J. Hinch called him, uh, you, you know, maybe a, a stronger version of Darwin Barney. And I thought, right, yeah, wow, okay. And now Darwin Barney, like, you watch back those highlights, reels of you know 2015 and all the defensive plays and big hits and stuff like darwin barney pops up in a lot of those and i i'm thinking like all right man this guy's got a flair for the dramatic but overall just you know in terms of being a player that's not a good comparison to where say oscar hernandez has, <laughs> has arrived so far in this conversation we've kind of been calling on your expertise as a as a broadcaster but i was hoping before we let we let you go we could kind of tap into you just being a smart, reasonable guy who's plugged into the Blue Jays. Because this week, there's just been so much anti-Charlie Montoyo vitriol uh, on Twitter with a lot of the fans, just a lot of frustration. And I was just kind of wondering, where do you land on the status of Montoyo and what you think the job he's doing as the Blue Jays manager is right now? Yeah, I, I think a lot of it's unwarranted. Uh and blame John Charlie. Listen, uh, it, that's a bullpen. And if if they get a couple of arms in the next couple of weeks, too, it's going to have even more restrictions on it. Um, guys, guys like Julian Merriweather and Nate Pearson, while they're so exciting to come up here, they have rules built around them in their work usage. Uh, Charlie is navigating specifically a pitching staff, you know, that has a lot of a guidelines with it. Um, very few of his options in the pitching. I think that's where a lot of the rage comes from, right? If uh, mm. and I, I try not to dive too much into that and the fan reaction, all this stuff. But um, uh, Charlie just, and Pete Walker too. I mean, you look at the dugout, right? There's there's endless conversations about what's going to go on with this pitching staff and how to put guys in situations. There have been some missteps. Don't get me wrong. There have been some missteps, uh, but I think a lot of a lot of the time, where the average fan doesn't know that a guy is down that day and unavailable that day, and whether it's whether it's HP stepping in or whether it's the individual player themselves saying, "Listen, I've I've got this problem, you know, like I I cannot go today. I've got I need an extra day. Whether it's soreness, whether there's an issue, all this other stuff. So I I think fans really need to understand the modern way of baseball being orchestrated because this is it. Uh, and, you know, it's not, it's not Johnny Holstaff every day, you know, with the rubber arm. That is just not the case. It doesn't matter if you're a rookie or if you're your 12th year in the big league. There's a lot of consultation that goes into managers making decisions with the pitching staff. And then sometimes out of nowhere, you get stunned. Like nobody, nobody knew Jose Barrios had basically tapped out of that start in Washington. And it's surprising, right? Pitch count was low. Innings, yeah, had some duress, but we don't find that out until the very end of the ball game, and that's why all of a sudden you're left scrambling to figure out how you're going to get your pitching staff through. So, <laughs> you know, as somebody yeah. that is tapped in and gets, a, gets definitely a, more peaks behind the curtain than a lot of people, I think that's where fans need to just take a beat, you know, where – you know, the Blue Jays' bullpen overall is very, very uh, orchestrated. But also, Blue Jays' bullpen just isn't that good, uh, even with the addition. And, yeah. and some of the guys that have been added in here, 
have been disappointment. You know, Brad Hand is somebody that they thought would get high leverage opportunity, has a lot of experience, and get an, get an opportunity to seal up some wins and take some of the, the pressure off of Jordan Romano. And that certainly hasn't panned out. Um, Adam Simber kind of regressed to the mean a little bit. Um, you know, Trevor Richards, we, we expected a little bit more of Trevor Richards. Uh, some of these new guys that I'm bringing up, but, you know, there's a lot of guys that were down there that the Blue Jays were going to rely on as well and just have not, have not been able to get them over certain hurdles for the course of the season, let alone just recently. All right, there you go, guys. That's um, some – I figured you'd be reasonable about it. Um, just some words to tamper to your Charlie Montoyo anger out there. Thanks so much for joining us, Ben. <laughs> it's always a pleasure to talk to you. <laughs> Andrew, Nick, thanks so much, man. Really appreciate it. Yeah, anytime, man. Thank you so much. And then the one thing that you you mentioned there... You know, you talk about, like, you know, what's a bigger deal than Montoyo with some of the things that happened to the team. And Springer's happened again. Mm-hmm. How bad, on a scale of one to bad, are you feeling about <laughs> the George Springer injury? You can use letters or numbers or anything. On a scale of one to bad, I'm feeling bad about it, I would say. Uh, no, yeah. Yeah, the, it, it sucks. It, it, it's, you know... I saw the made of glass stuff, and you know, as, as I joke, uh, reading stuff on Facebook, which also I absolutely don't. do not do. You don't do have and, to do that. No, yeah, you do not have to do that. Uh, it, you know, this is like injuries are a thing with him, and we knew that going in. Uh, you know, he has he played 162 games, I think, in, in 2016, and then it's sort of been steadily declining since. Like he's a guy who you're going to have to manage some stuff with that. That's fine because as we literally saw, uh, when he's healthy, it's it's all worth it. Uh, and this is uh, this is definitely an outlier season. I'm slightly concerned <laughs> about like, you know, he's going into he's like 31 right now, six year contract. It, like this stuff doesn't generally like get better as you get older. Uh, but also it's like a fluke. Thing. Yeah, and, but it uh, doesn't get better as you get older. But if I had to bet, will Springer play more games in 2022 than he oh, did in yeah. 2021? I would 100%. say yes, yes. right? Like yeah. you can, he's had some nagging injuries, like you said in the past. But I don't think he's someone who's fair to label with that, like that, like oh, made of glass. Well, like th- this is just the experience Blue Jays fans are having now because this is the time that Springer's been on their team. But he's had largely healthy seasons with the Astros and. Yeah, he's he's hardly a position player, Julian Merriweather. Like he's got, <laughs> right. he'll, he'll he'll play plenty of games for the team. And if anything, maybe they need to teach him to play. I always found it was hilarious when Bryce Harper was on the verge of his contract, and then his defensive metrics just cratered the, in his contract season because <laughs> he basically was just like, "I'm not taking any chances." Right. And then and then he was once he got his money, his defense was good again. I think that the Blue Jays could teach Springer to take a little bit of a page out of that book. Like he does have some of that recklessness in his defense, and uh, sure. you know sometimes it's okay to let a double fall in and not make those kind of dives. I know people love to see him, but like he's a big guy. 
uh, and he's getting a little bit older and, you know, collisions with the wall could be a problem with him. And, you know, and like we've seen some of this lower body stuff. So I'm not prepared to say this guy is fragile. This guy is glass. Um, oh, he's, yeah. And also he's great. He's so awesome. Yeah. Like, like, yeah, we, we can lose sight of the fact he's like, <laughs> like a top yeah. 10 hitter in baseball yeah. the last like three years. Um, he's an incredible player. It, it does hurt because the Blue Jays need to make a run. Like the, it's not like at the deadline. It was like, okay, well, at some point they're going to need to make a run. The at some point part is kind of over. Like they need to make a run. Like now. they are running out of time. Yeah. And Springer is a guy who was driving the bus for this team, and you know, with Vladdy cooling down a little bit, probably the best position player on the team. So this is yeah, it's incredibly bad timing. Like, do I want to see Randall Grichik playing center field every day? Like. No, I don't. He's filled in. He survives out there. Like, he's not truly brutal, but, like, I don't want to see that. Do I want to see Semyon leading off? No, I think it's kind of a waste with him. Like, he, he's more of a power guy than an on-base guy at this point. Like, I'd rather see him hitting down the lineup. Now, that's a, that's a first-world problem because, like, yeah. Semyon's an effective leadoff hitter. But, you know, I, I like to see them mixing and matching all those outfielders according to you know, who they're playing and whatnot. Now you can't really mix and match anymore. You just have to throw Teoscar, Grichik, you know, Dickerson and Gurriel out there essentially. Uh, and then with lefties, things get a little bit hairy. So there's a, there's a lot of ways that Springer affects this team uh, offensively and defensively. And he's pretty indispensable to what they're trying to do. So it is very bad timing. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. It, uh, it stinks. I agree. And yeah, I don't you just you look at Bravik Valera hitting sixth or whatever the other day, and it's like I'd rather not look. Yeah, at that, I would rather not look at that either. Yeah, it's uh, and they have a weird thing with him. Uh, much He's like, one of those guys who models statistically better than he is, like because he doesn't strike out at all. He always tends to get these pretty favorable projections because they're like, oh, he'll only strike out ten percent of the time, and therefore. He'll get on base and he'll get hits, but it, like in reality, he's got so little power that I'm just not confident he makes hard enough contact to get those hits, even if he's never striking out. And so, yeah, he's a guy I understand why teams have been intrigued with him in the past, but the yeah the doomsday clock on Bravik Valera being a thing <laughs> is so close to midnight at this point. Yeah, a little bit, and and uh, but I think that I think they do like him quite a lot and i know people like when kevin smith was coming up this week it's like oh smith's coming what's going to be the roster move they're like oh maybe they'll just dfa valera i don't think that that's a thing like i think there's believers in the organization about breaking valera which i don't know if they're like scarred by Gio urshela or what <laughs> but i don't know if this is the guy i you know that may that may only happen once yeah it's uh, one the of those urshela things thing, but like but and, and you you may just have to move on. And they you, there's there are definitely for like years has been that mindset of uh, you know just gotta give gotta give Billy McKinney gotta give Brand Jury some run and then it'll click. And to their you know to their credit, uh, you know a guy like Teoscar Hernandez could have been in that same breath, and uh, that's worked really well for them. Um, but I don't know if I see it with Valera. I think that they're sort of in the in the kind of advanced analytics community and sort of the way teams are built these days, there's a tendency for teams to target guys with, oh, this guy has an intriguing trait, like on the pitching side, like this guy's got funky movement on this. 
And Valera is that on the position player side with his ability to make contact. It's like, oh, he's got this great trait, and therefore let's see if the other things come together. But if that trait is all you've got, you're not actually good. <laughs> and right. I, I don't think he's actually good. Like, he's positionally versatile, quote-unquote, but is he great at any of the positions he plays? Not really. Like, I, I'm not saying he's bad. He's just, you know, he's not John McDonald. Uh from that perspective so you know he's not no one's going to be calling him the prime minister of defense that's for <laughs> sure and like yeah being able to make contact is rare in today's game like guys who can consistently avoid strikeouts are rare but again there is a difference between rare and good and Bravik Valera <laughs> is rare but he's not necessarily good yeah uh it, this just reminds me like Ross Atkins was on with Ben on the radio broadcast uh a week or two ago and was talking about him and was the, like, what very clearly likes him. And then sort of like chuckled to himself. And I'm like, oh, he's going to say something. And he's like, he is stoic. Oh boy, <laughs> that guy is stoic. I'm like, That's, is that is that the quality? Like, I know they let, you know, like Alejandro High Kirk performance has, has like, the, like a, the low pulse, you know, it doesn't, <laughs> nothing phases him. But I'm no, I don't know that that's in and of itself. <laughs> Good yeah, it's good if, if you've got the low heartbeat and then it results in you hitting a bunch of bombs because you're locked in. But if you have <laughs> yeah. a low heartbeat and then you ground out to second, like it doesn't matter. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Alejandro Kirk has that low heartbeat. That doesn't prevent him from making, you know, kind of rookie mistakes on the defensive end. Like he's a guy they talk about as having exactly that quality. And that's, yeah, it's no guarantee that mistakes don't get made or that people are going to produce. I'd still like to see Kirk play more than Reese McGuire personally yeah i mean reese mcguire doesn't really need to play i mean you're, <laughs> it's a rock and a hard place because you know with kirk you do give up stuff on defense and that yeah. can be destabilizing for the entire team uh, I, I, yeah, I assume the pitchers are yeah the pitchers are probably more comfortable with reese but yeah just give kirk me is sort of growing into that yeah give me some more kirk and in terms of also some of the young guys i think before we go to the weekend series just touching on the appearance of Kevin Smith and Otto Lopez. Does this fill you with any excitement? Because I know Kevin Smith was someone we talked about a lot around the trade deadline. Lopez is a little bit lower key, but you know he came out in the press and said that he really liked poutine, so he's already yeah. got the PR <laughs> offensive going. Um, yeah, what's, what's kind of the interest level in these two guys? Uh, yeah, it's a bit low, to be honest with you. Uh, and, like, well... Again, Bravik Valera, like Kevin Smith gets called up, and then the first game he's here, Valera's starting at third base. Um, I'd, like, what is Kevin Smith here for, if not to take Bravik Valera's job? Uh, I, don't, I don't understand that. Um, Lopez, like, like, real, like, he's hit at every level, but I don't think there's a lot of faith that he's going to be, you know, much more than a Santiago Espinal, who's been great, I, you know. Speaking of Valera and, and third base, play Santiago Espinal every day. I'm fine with that. Uh, though I think was it you that was? I think you were tweeting about like, or maybe it wasn't you, but <laughs> but with Springer, someone out, like me, yeah, someone like you, someone smart. Uh, but like with Springer out, you do need you know, you have to find some more offensive production somewhere. And you know, Espinal's been great at the plate, but he you know is not. Like isn't isn't hitting extra base hits all the time, but he he's done a great job, you know, getting on base and is a is a really interesting, uh, valuable utility kind of player. Um, but yeah, I, I like well, and Valera I feel is not, and Kevin Smith, 
has hit so well in the in the minor leagues this year that I think that he really should get a run at third, uh, with especially with Springer out because he's a guy who can maybe like hit a ball out of the ballpark <laughs> every once in a while. Yeah, that's on the table. For <laughs> you know, and, yeah, and like that's that's sort of important. Um, but yeah, I don't know. The excitement level was not great. I'm, I'm more. I'm I'm on the Julian Merriweather, Nate Pearson train. Like, let's please get these guys into the bullpen as soon as possible. Um, but also, I don't. You know, I don't discount Lopez and, and Smith. I think they're interesting guys. I I still think that they're probably like trade bait at some point. Like, I don't know that they they have a long term position here. Uh, but. But the, I think they can help. They're certainly. Do you remember Joe Panic? Like it's it's better than that. Hey, he's the guy they traded for multiple years of Adam Simber. Somehow. So <laughs> Which, I remember him. I what mean, a trade what, trip! I feel like uh, Adam Simber's turning back into a pumpkin, but nonetheless, yeah, it was a good trade. Yeah, it's neither here nor there. I mean, I think he's an <laughs> MOB reliever, and Joe Panic isn't necessarily an MOB anything. So I think you're still happy with that deal. Uh, on these two. You know, Smith is more interesting, right? Like, it's a higher yeah. range of outcomes. Like, he could be, uh, you know, an everyday quality player. I don't think that that's the likeliest scenario by any means. And we saw Riley Adams, for instance, put up great numbers at AAA <laughs> and then uh, not do much in the major league level. I don't except know, he did pretty well this week. Yeah. Um, so I'm, my hopes aren't that that high, but in theory, he could be something. You know, Lopez is a little, you know, he's not actually that dissimilar to Valera in some ways, like a little mm-hmm. positional versatility, um, pro- you know, younger, more athletic, you know, probably a little bit more upside defensively. And then, you know, contact hitting, like never really hit for much power at the minor league level. So, yeah, it, it's interesting. It just seems like he's someone who's maybe longer term in competition with Espinal for, you know, I could envision a scenario where in the future, a couple years, they see Lopez as a better offensive option, but Espinal maybe better defensively, and they're figuring out which one they want. Um, so, yeah, I'm never crazy hyped to see a future <laughs> utility type. And, I, you know, he could I could be absolutely wrong about it. He could go on to have, like, an amazing career. You never know with these guys, so it's always a little bit exciting. But, like you said, my level of being thrilled by seeing these two guys come up from a scouting perspective isn't that high. <laughs> but, but Smith did, you know, change his swing and had his second breakout this year. It's been it's been interesting to look at the numbers and sort of watch from afar how he was doing in Buffalo and that's uh there could be something there. Uh what here's a question for you. I don't often pose questions on this podcast. Uh <laughs> Kevin Smith or Kevin Biggio? I mean, I, I probably would still say Biggio. I'm one yeah. of the bigger <laughs> Biggio defenders, I guess, in the Blue Jays universe. I just think that he was really banged up this year. He also didn't perform well. But there's you know, there's kind of a full MLB season's worth of him being a well-above-average hitter. And I've said on this podcast before, I think he's actually a decent second baseman and just not actually great at the other things. Like I think he's sort of miscast as this mm-hmm. super utility man. I don't know if he's a future starter on the blue jays maybe if you know in an ideal world he's maybe he is sort of the 10th man or whatever but i have a lot well, more I would, faith I'd, I'd put him farther down than that <laughs> but i yeah. have a lot more faith in his ability to produce offensively at the mlb level than i do with smith but smith is interesting i but i wouldn't yeah i wouldn't trade bijo for him tomorrow but I, I think that that's an opinion that a lot of blue jays fans would disagree with because people have seen bijo 
at his absolute worst this year, and a lot of them are ready to kick him to the curb. That's true. I think a lot of them were ready to kick him to the curb earlier than that. But yeah, he had, he. I, I think you're right though that he has been banged up a bit, and that is that is uh, skewed perspectives on him. All right, before we get out of here, the weekend series is a series against the Detroit Tigers, which you think of as a layup, but has been actually a little bit more successful this year than you might imagine. Mm-hmm. Still, uh, you know, it's it's a good matchup. There's no two ways about it. There's no one in that lineup that scares you. Like, Candelario's pretty good, I guess. Uh, Miggy's sitting on that 499 yeah. home run, so you might yeah. see the 500 home runs with him. It's, I, I kind of hope it. We well, not even just for the Jays' sake. Like I don't know. I remember Frank Thomas hitting his 600th in like the Metrodome while he was playing for the Blue Jays. Maybe it was his 500. I think it was 500. Yeah, it must have been five. Yeah, six is a lot. Uh, but like, but it was just like, oh, that's. It was. It was. It just none of it made sense. I don't want to see Miguel Cabrera, who was great and you can't not love. <laughs> it just hit a dumb solo shot in a lost game into like the empty stands at Rogers center um, for his 500. Like it would, it would, he, he should do it back home, do it. Comerica. Don't, don't, uh, you know, don't, don't do that to us. But, uh, but that, you know, what a great player. The, and also the guy that, you know, Vlad gets compared to quite a lot and uh, he's had a wonderful career. Yeah, I think he's one of those guys, you know, he's having a bit of the Pujols turn in his career now where he just hasn't been particularly useful for kind of the last four (laughs) years. So really 2016 was his last great year. Um, And since then he's been sort of an average hitter with no defensive value. And yeah, I I don't know. Like I understand why he keeps showing up. There's a hell of a paycheck there for him. So there's (laughs) no reason for him to retire. It's not, you know, it's not his fault. He's got that contract. But it is sad to see those players, especially when I think of, you know, I'm not the oldest man in the world, but I think of some of the younger fans who who only know him probably as being like, like he was a force of nature. He was the greatest hitter in oh the game God, for yeah. a period of time. Yeah. And I feel bad for people who kind of are only seeing this decline phase because it's just, you know, he's not very impressive phys- physically, athletically. <laughs> he's not really hitting for power anymore, even his way of doing average production is sort of unspectacular you know not even a lot of power kind of singles doubles and patience which is not fun like he's just not fun in any way shape or form but he (laughs) was very fun for a long time and you know i hope people don't forget that the other thing with the tigers um is that some of their pitching is actually quite interesting but the blue jays will be looks like we'll be missing all of those pitchers so the blue jays are going to go four through six in the tigers rotation the big, uh, you know, one the big, of whom, yeah, yeah, the big one, Drew Hutchison on <laughs> Sunday. This guy gave the Blue Jays uh, effectively two of their starters. Reese McGuire and Teoscar Hernandez can be traced back to um, Drew Hutchison, so he's important for that reason. An opening day starter for the Blue Jays. Um, That's one of those, yeah. one of those ones that will uh, be a trivia question for sure uh, in the future. I had high hopes for Hutchison. I remember. Uh, especially because it was when I was first getting interested in some of the advanced stats, and he was one of those guys who his ERAs would be higher than his peripherals, so I'd always think, like, oh, he's going to come around and be something kind of special, and that didn't really happen. It's his 31st birthday uh, on Sunday, which is when he should be pitching against the Blue Jays, 
which I don't know. Like sometimes when you hear people's ages, it sort of hits you one way or the other where you're like, really, they're that old or wow, they're really still that young. That 31 seems about right to me. That's fine. He's been around for a long time. It's not one of those shocking ones, but it is. uh, It's definitely younger than I would have guessed, but yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, he was still like a kind of a younger up and coming guy when the Blue Jays traded him. But, you know, credit to him to make his way back to the major leagues. Um, yeah, wish him all the success. Uh, but on Sunday, if the Blue Jays don't hit him hard, that will be an indictment on how their lineup is performing. <laughs> I believe that's correct. Yeah. All right, we're going to leave it there. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of Blue Jays Happy Hour. We will be with you uh, next Friday, and we appreciate you guys subscribing, leaving reviews, all the things that you do, and uh, we look forward to seeing you again. 